Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. How do we do a, a better job of sowing God's love in the lives of people who are lost? Perhaps cut off from God, in some cases having moved far away from God and bringing their lives under his judgment. How do we sow love into people's lives? I had a friend who told me that he became a Christian in his late teen years and one of the first things he did was to write to all of his relatives and tell them that if they didn't put their trust in Jesus they were going to hell. His father, who was a sea captain and an unbeliever, wrote back to him and said, Son, if you want to persuade us to share your newfound faith in Jesus, that's probably not the best way of going about it. How do we go about doing a better job than my mate did? He ended up becoming a principal of a theological college and a famous theologian but, uh, he, and a very loving man, but he didn't have a very auspicious start. How do we reach out with, and sow God's love into the lives of people who are lost? The answer to every question that is ever asked from the front of a church is Jesus. That's what kids believe anyway. <laughs> and Jesus was a, um, he was a master craftsman. He was an expert in finding and bringing home people who were disconnected from God and who knew that their lives were under, his, under God's judgment. And what I'd like us to do this morning is to look over our Lord's shoulder, listen to what he said and watch what he did so that we can do a better job of playing our part in his rescue mission. Let's begin then with what Jesus said. And we're looking at some snapshots from Luke chapters 18 and 19 and I think that these incidents were probably taking place in the last two weeks before he was executed. He's on his last journey towards Jerusalem. And there's an urgency about what he says and does. Luke chapter 18 verse 9. To those or to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down their noses at everybody else, Jesus told this parable, this story. Two men. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. Pharisees were rule keepers, at least they thought they were, and in this case, tax collectors were, well, this one at least, was a rule breaker, and he knew he was. The Pharisees, on the whole, were proud of their religious pedigree and their moral performance which earned them enough heavenly frequent flyer points to get themselves into God's kingdom. This one was no exception. Standing up in the temple, looking upwards, he says, Thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give away a tenth of all that I earn. What a good boy am I. Rule-keeping is one of the most common religions in the world. Whether it's doing 
whatever we can to earn God's approval or the approval of the gods or of the ancestral spirits or simply keeping the fashionable rules of secular society. And it can either lead to pride or it can lead to despair. I was a rule keeper from my earliest age. I remember at the age of eight saying to my Uncle Richard, who was an avowed atheist, Uncle Richard, if you live a good life, you'll go to heaven when you die. Do you see what I was doing? I was taking the whole weight of my eternal future and placing it upon my eight-year-old shoulders. It was a dumb thing to do. By the age of 15, I knew that I was in deep trouble. I'd not lived a good life. There were things I'd said and done that I was thoroughly ashamed of and that I knew that God would not be pleased with. I thought, how do I make up to God? Now, Enid Blyton, in her Enchanted Woods books, once said that you have to do 100 good things to make up for one bad thing. Well, that was beyond me. So I, thought, I, was, I was in bed and I thought, how do you... I'd heard about Jesus' suffering and I thought, how do you suffer when you're lying in bed? At my age, it means not taking enough magnesium tablets and getting a terrible cramp. <laughs> but back then, I thought, I'll hold my breath till it hurts. So I took a deep breath and I held it until it was impossible to hold it any longer and I was in agony and then I breathed it out and took a few breaths to catch up and I thought, that was really dumb. That achieved nothing. What do I do? The Pharisee, at least, sorry, the tax collector in Jesus' story knew that there was nothing he could do. Tax collectors in the land of the Lord Jesus worked for the Roman authorities and exacted money, either by extortion or sometimes cheating, but exacted money on behalf of the colonial authorities from their fellow Jewish citizens, countrymen and countrywomen, and they were regarded as being worse than unbelievers. He knows there's nothing he can do. So standing in the temple, he bows his head and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, Jesus said, this man, rather than the other, went home justified, went home in a right relationship with God. Jesus is saying that rule-keeping does not work. It's a bit like um, trying to catch a bus or using a bus to drive to New Zealand. Not sure that many of us have thought of trying that, but it's the wrong form of transport. It won't get you, the best of buses would not even get you to the breakers at Nobby's Beach. We're all rule breakers. And if we're going to find our way into God's acceptance and presence, there needs to be some other form of transport. And it's the transport that God provides. It's his mercy and kindness and loving grace. And that is what is extended to the man in this story. Now, I've been sharing this, the story that Jesus told. And stories have this way of getting past our natural defences and either warming our hearts or getting, in, getting under our skin. This would have got under the skin 
of the foot the God police. This would have been another nail in Jesus' coffin. How dare you suggest that people like that are better than we are, they thought. It's a good question. How, why, how can God just overlook and forgive sin like that? So there I am. I started sharing my story. I um, started three months after this lying in bed holding my breath till it hurt incident. I went to the local youth group around the corner. Had no interest in church. Any experience I'd had of church in the past had turned me off ever going to church again. But there were some friends from school who were there. So I went. Four months later, we had a guest preacher who spoke on the Friday night at our church youth group and then on the Sunday. And I don't remember a single word that he said except that while he was speaking, God was there wanting me. Wanting me to belong to him, to be his. And when the invitation was made on the Sunday night to come and receive what the Lord, I did. And that began a long journey, starting at the age of 15. One of the things I learnt very early on was who Jesus was. And that he had paid for my forgiveness and for God's mercy. He had died on the cross for me. And that was an enormous relief. Now, I have shared a bit of my story. You will have stories of God's mercy too. As most of us will. And if you can sort of shape that a bit so that you're able to, to say it, there'll be a time and a place where it'll be appropriate to share something of your story. It doesn't have to be a whole gospel outline that dominates the airways for half an hour. Just snippets of your story of God's mercy in your life. And maybe you're coming to church for the first time and you're thinking, I don't have a story like that. Maybe you could say, well, I went to church once or for the first time and um, I was looking for some answers, just testing it out. And I heard something about God's mercy. still puzzles me, but that's basically, if that's where you're up to, that's all your story can be. Jesus told stories. Stories of God's mercy. And he also showed God's mercy. And I'd like to look at two, two incidents in, um, in Jesus, uh, Jesus showing God's mercy. The first is the one of the blind man and Josh Irwin gave a fantastic sermon two weeks ago about the God who listens um, and I'm not going to repeat that but his sermon and my sermon sort of intersect just for a couple of minutes and uh, the story is of a man called Bartimaeus. Luke doesn't tell us his name but Mark does. And I'm going to read to you from the A B. B.V., that's the Australian bush ballad version. The world looks dark from where I sit. My eyes don't work, you see. I'm cold and poor with little food. Can someone please help me? When Jesus walked along that road with people crowding round, Bartimaeus shouted as he sat there on the ground, Help me, Jesus, son of David. I need your expertise. 
King of kings and Lord of lords, have mercy on me, please. Shut up, Bart, the people said. Don't disturb the teacher. He's here to help the best of us, and your life does not feature. But Jesus smiled and called him near. You need something, my friend? Please, Lord Jesus, help me see. I want the dark to end. Up you get, the Lord replied. Your faith has made you well. Straight away his sight returned. It wasn't hard to tell. Bart leapt up onto his feet. He sang and danced with glee. I'll follow you along the road. Oh, Lord, you've set me free. I'll follow you along the road. Lord, you've set me free. Woohoo! <laughs> I once surprised a man who was sitting by the road begging for money in, in Kenya. I went up to him and I said to him, he made eye contact, I said, could you please lend me some money? And he did, he did a double take and he just said, what? <laughs> I said, I've, I need to go to the bank and I can see the parking ticket inspector moving towards us. I didn't bring any coins for the parking meter. Can you please lend me some money? He just laughed. He really thought that was really funny and he lent me the money and I paid him back with interest a bit later. <laughs> it was a day for both of us to remember. Jesus gave Bartimaeus a day he'd never forget because he got his sight back or perhaps he got his sight for the first time. And before that, Jesus listened. He was used to people shutting him down overlooking him, depersonalizing him, even blaming him perhaps because there was a view that people who had some sort of affliction had that because they were being judged for some personal sin. But Jesus calls him near and says, what do you want me to do for you? I'm all ears. Tell me I'm listening. And Bartimaeus said, Lord, I want to see Jesus gave him his sight. Listening, when we do it well, conveys love and understanding and acceptance. I do not always do it well. I've had endless numbers of active listening or courses. I've I did work as a personal counsellor for a number of years, part-time, and I still get it wrong. I was at a party recently, a birthday party, and I sat down at a table with some people who were roughly my adult children's age just to see what would happen. It didn't take long for the person opposite me, a man, to say, are you a believer? Well, where did that come from? Are you a believer? Well, we got talking a bit and it um, became clear that he was not a believer. And as we talked even further, he said, how can you believe in God and have been a physics teacher at the same time? It was just beyond him. And I gave some standard arguments. Um, but what I should have done was to listen. I should have said, so for you... There's a conflict between believing in God and being a scientist. And let him sort of talk about what the issue was. 
I didn't. In the end, I told them a bit of my story. I said, um, I guess the real reason I believe in God, or the main reason, is because I've known him for the last 56 years. I've known him since I was 15. And a bit later, he said, it's interesting you should say that. Because my grandmother, whom I love and respect, or loved and respected, she was then dead, used to, she was a Christian, and she used to talk about knowing God. It's interesting that you should say that too. Clearly God's at work in this man's life, and I pray that he'll bring someone else to intersect with his life, and that he'll come to know the Lord. Listening is a gift of mercy. It's not always easy to do. And the Lord did it well. Sometimes when I'm praying for people, I'll say, what is it that you want the Lord to do for you? And that'll help me to avoid preaching in my prayer or giving advice in my prayer or praying for the wrong thing, listening. And the other example of the Lord sowing mercy into the life, sowing mercy or showing mercy to someone is the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a very short man. He was also a very powerful man. He was a chief tax collector. And chief tax collectors would always, would not always, would often use other people to do their dirty work for them. Debt collecting, threatening, perhaps threatening violence or using violence. By that means, Zacchaeus had become an extra, extraordinarily wealthy man and probably the most hated man in Jericho, or one of them. Being short, he wanted to see Jesus when Jesus walked past. And he couldn't, so he climbed a tree. And I'm going to read to you from the ABBV again. Zacchaeus was a little bloke, and short of friends as well. A rip-off merchant taxman who'd sold his soul to hell. And then, one day, a turnaround... Zach scrambled up a tree. Jesus Christ was passing by, and this he had to see. Come on down, the Lord called out. You and I should meet. I'm going home to your place. Let's have a bite to eat. People stood and shook their heads. They couldn't take it in. He's having dinner with a man who's famous for his sin. Zacchaeus' heart began to melt. Such love he'd never seen. Wow, if you can take me as I am, I guess I should come clean. Half of my possessions I'll donate to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay them four times more. I'm just going to press the pause button on that poem. We'll come back to it a bit later. I just wanted us to notice something that Jesus did very publicly and no doubt offended many people. He accepted Zacchaeus. He showed public acceptance of Zacchaeus. He wasn't agreeing with Zacchaeus or affirming his ungodly life that he'd lived, ripping people off. And he accepted Zacchaeus by inviting himself to be a guest at Zacchaeus's home, which would necessarily have entailed eating and drinking with Zacchaeus. And to do that was a sign of fellowship and togetherness. 
another nail in Jesus' coffin. He was known to be a friend of sinners. He went to parties and the God police were deeply offended by that. Secondly, notice that Jesus accepted Zacchaeus before he repented. Before he decided to give away half of his money to the poor and repay the people he'd ripped off four times the amount. Who are the people you know in your street or at work or in your family who you imagine would, would not find a warm welcome in our church or any other church? Years ago I worked as a, um, as a church minister in the west of Sydney now, one of the things you do as an Anglican is visit people who want to get their kids baptised. I'm not here to defend infant baptism, okay? I'm fully, fully supportive of adult baptism. But what it did give me, and it doesn't happen so often these days because it's no longer the fashion so much, it gave me the opportunity to, to sit in the homes over the years of three or four hundred couples and talk about what it means to be a, a, a follower of Jesus and to talk about God's mercy. Now, I'll just tell you a little story which is, which is trivial but it leads into a better story. Sitting in a home and sometimes I, I, I say things I shouldn't have said. The guy says to me, have I seen you somewhere before? And I said, oh, you weren't at Pentridge, were you? <laughs> Pentridge was uh, the main prison in Melbourne until it closed down in 1997. You weren't at Pentridge, were you? He said, no, mate, I was at Long Bay. (laughs) 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 I thought, okay, we'll drop that one from the repertoire. (laughs) Ironically, a few years later, at another church, one of our members used to come to church with an electronic bracelet around his ankle. He was coming to the end, his name is Patrick, and he doesn't mind me, he's very public about this, he's spoken in churches, but Patrick was coming to the end of an 18-year sentence, which he served in Long Bay Jail for murder. He had taken the life of another man. And in, early in his, sent, in his um, incarceration, he had met with the chaplain at the prison who had shown him great love and mercy and care gave Patrick a listening ear, accepted Patrick and shared with him the good news about Jesus and Patrick had become a thoroughly converted Christian. He grew as a Christian, he earned the trust of the prison officials, they'd often call him in when a prisoner was doing it tough so that Patrick could just be there and perhaps do what the prison officials couldn't do. And uh, he used to come to our church on a Sunday and he'd meet with his prison officer at the end of the service. Patrick and uh, a Christian prison officer used to work with an organisation called Kairos, Prison Ministries. And he would go to churches and they would share their story. I held off for 10 months asking Patrick to tell his story in our church. I didn't want him to sort of become a celebrity rather than just get to know people. But the day came when I asked Patrick to share his story. It happened to coincide with a christening or a baptism. 
So we had about 20 or 30 people who had never darkened the door of a church who came to church that day and heard this fantastic testimony of God's mercy in the life of this man. Two years later, the couple asked me to do the same thing for their daughter. I said, okay, so we fixed a date. And they said, that man won't be there, will he? <laughs> I said, what man's that? That man, that man that from prison who got up and spoke in, our, in the service. I said, no, he won't be, but why do you ask? Because we, my friends and family, were deeply offended that you would allow such a person to speak at our daughter's christening. Rule-keeping rather than understanding that we all need God's mercy. Mm. I, have a, I know another church where one of the members is a convicted pedophile. You can imagine what a can of worms that is for the church elders. And so they've accepted him, but there are firm boundaries in place, go areas and no-go areas, child protection policies which actually apply in our church because we don't automatically trust everybody uh, nor should we so we um, we have our own go and no-go areas at certain times and safe ministry practices to to protect people who are vulnerable not just children but what struck me is here's a church who's willing to accept someone who's been rejected by their by the wider community and that's what the Lord's calling us to do. Why would we do that? Because God has been merciful to us. You're in a church where you've been accepted by, by people, despite your sins and failings. Imagine if we had to pass a test when we, came to church, when we come to church in the morning. This is not a, um, this is not a polygraph, a lie detector. It's a hamartiograph. The Greek word for sins is hamartia. Okay? So this is detecting our sins, particularly those ones that we still struggle with after 10, 15, 20, 50, 60 years of serving Jesus. The areas of our weakness, perhaps addictions, temper, whatever it may be, that we still find ourselves seeking God's forgiveness, still confessing to him. If you had to sit a test like that, how many people would be in church this morning? None of the staff would be here. <laughs> the Lord Jesus came to visit. There'd be nobody here. We're called to show acceptance and love and mercy. St. Paul says, I think it's in Galatians 6, if, if one of you is caught in a sin, if one of you is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. It's not a place for oppression, a place for mercy, and kindness and understanding. Imagine you were caught in a sin and your connect group said, well, you can stop coming to our group till you sort out your life. That would be a very extreme position to take. I imagine it could happen, but I don't hear of it happen very, happening very often. The Lord calls us to be people who accept others. Acceptance does not mean agreeing with them. Acceptance does not mean we trust them. Trust is something which is earned. Acceptance is freely given. 
Now, if you feel that you're being challenged to show acceptance to someone who's been a danger to you or is still a danger to you or to your children, your primary job is your safety. You can show acceptance by being respectful in the way you speak to them and, and respectful when you put in place boundaries to protect yourself or your children. Acceptance is not the same thing as trust. Let me get back to our, um, our friend Zacchaeus. He's just decided to give away half of his money to the poor and to repay the people he's ripped off. Jesus said, Salvations surely come into this home. Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, welcome to Shalom. Shalom means, it's a Hebrew word which means God's safety, God's peace, God's security. Wholeness. Welcome to Shalom. For you were lost, but now are found. Were blind, but now can see. Zacchaeus, I came here for you. I came to set you free. Now, you and I have parts to play in Jesus' rescue plan. He'll use us if we're prepared to do the things we can, like praying, listening, accepting others, opening up our homes, or even standing up in church reciting Aussie poems. If we're going to show, sow God's mercy into the lives of people who are lost, who feel disconnected from God and his love, we need to do it beginning the way the Lord Jesus did it, beginning with prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your love and mercy to us. Wow, when we think of the things we've said and done, you are so kind. And it's not just that you put up with us, Lord. You actually love us. You're head over heels in love with us. Thank you for your love, Lord. Help us, Lord, to sow your love into the lives of the people you've entrusted to us. Neighbours, friends, relatives, colleagues. And as a church, Lord, I'm just grateful that I'm in a church where your love is sown in such wonderful ways through the Monday night Alpha group, Tuesday night granary dinner, VIPs once a month. I pray for those groups, Lord. Groups where the word bless applies. Groups that begin in prayer, that are bathed in prayer. Groups where people have an opportunity to, to be heard, where people listen where we eat together, where teams of volunteers serve and where you, your stories, Lord, and our stories are told. Bless these, these meetings, Lord, and help us as we play our own part with the people you've entrusted to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released.
Have a safe and blessed week.